Hello, everybody. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of the No Code Podcast. My guest today is the procuring cause of this podcast. He's the guy who convinced me it was a good idea to do it. His name is Tim Allard. Tim is a business coach, and I've worked with him for almost four years now through JLL. He has tremendous insight, valuable lessons and advice, and most importantly, he's just a genuinely great guy to talk to and to be around. Check out his website at timjallard.com. That's A-L-L-A-R-D for Allard. He has great blogs and content on there and also on LinkedIn. You can also reach him at tim at timjallard.com. Enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the No Code Podcast, Season 2, Episode 5. This is a, this is a big one. This is a critical one because we are talking to the man who's the procuring cause for the No Code Podcast, even coming to light with a, a big challenge to me back in the summertime. Um, today, we're talking to Tim Allard, who is a business coach who specializes in uh, a lot of different things, leadership, strategy, personal and professional development. Uh, Tim and I have been working together for uh, almost four years now. Uh, through JLL. And uh, Tim and I connected back in midsummer. I was in a little bit of a, maybe you could call it a COVID rut. Maybe you could call it kind of a, a personal professional development rut. But uh, one way or another, I needed to find some inspiration outside of work to kind of kind of juice me up a little bit. And, um, you know, he asked me to make a list of stuff I'd like to do outside of work. And, um, you know, one of the things I, I said was I love podcasts and I, I think I could make one. And Tim just laid it down. He said, the next time we meet, which is in two weeks, have a podcast done. <laughs> and here we are. So, Tim, uh, welcome aboard. Hey, it's great to be here. Now, how many has there been? This is uh, number five of season two. There was 10 in season one, and I slipped a bonus episode in there. So I guess this is number 16 altogether. Wow. How about that? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, truth, uh, be told, truth be told, I never expected you to have that podcast done in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I know you didn't. I think you might have forgot because on our next call, I was like, oh, by the way, the podcast is done. You were like, oh, oh, really? Okay. How about that? <laughs> right. And uh, I'm, I'm really glad that you uh, pushed me in that direction. And you did. And, and it's true because I don't think, you know, I'm, I'm one of these guys that uh, maybe I'm a little a little kind of uh, subject to peer pressure because, you know, you're growing up and you have your friends and you'll be out somewhere and somebody will say, oh, you won't. You won't do that. You, you, right. You won't chug that beer. You won't do this. You won't do that. And and you tell me I won't do it, and I may do it. And and it sort of felt like uh, a little bit of a challenge to do something that I was completely ill prepared to do. I didn't have a a podcast system. I didn't have any kind of background in the technology on how to do it. But I was like, well, you know, I found something that was super easy to use, and I found a guy, my my boy Matt Blank, to jump on with me. And I I knew if nothing else, he can't shut his mouth. So uh, I knew I'd have somebody to. To help me through it, and 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 here we are, and I, I greatly appreciate it. Well, truth be told, Tony told me he had a background in radio, a little background in radio. That's true. That's so true. Villanova me, College. Let radio. me ask you about your background in radio. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I, there are some cassette tapes out there somewhere, deep in the archives of uh, one of my buddy's houses. I'm sure that contain uh, probably about ten to fifteen uh, uh, radio episodes of Villanova. That's great. Yeah. So anyway, I want to I want to introduce what you do uh, to the listening audience here. So, um, you know, you're a business coach. We've worked together for a long time. 
Um, you know, what I think you really do well is, you know, you get you get the strategy of business, you get, you know, what it takes to be successful in terms of, you know, the bottom line and how to hit your your targets, but you also really get the personal part of it and kind of digging down into who the person is that you're working with, what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses. And, you know, from my perspective, that's what I think you're great at. And I'd love you to tell everybody in more detail than that, you know, what it is you do and and how you got into it. So long circuitous route, um, got out of college and uh, was working for a company called EDS. Remember old Ross Perot? And uh, that's right. Old Ross uh, had a great company called EDS, 155,000 people. I had, uh, I had been involved with the sales and the marketing angle of that business. But, you know, Tony, I, um, they were a great company. But, and I stayed there for 12 years, believe it or not. And um, I knew day one it was not the right company for me. We had to wear you know, the white shirt, the blue or red tie, black belt, black shoes. You didn't even take your jacket off, your suit jacket off when you sat down. Uh, so it was really a culture that was, uh, it felt like a suit that was too tight for me. Great experience. You know, they gave you a lot of rope. They gave you a lot of experience doing things that probably they shouldn't have. It was just the nature of their business. But I learned a lot and went on this long journey to figure out what the heck was I going to do when I grew up. Right. And literally, um, I took my sales, marketing, strategy work that I did there, consulting with clients. And at the end, I was, uh, I was getting ready to leave EDS. I'd been working on the MCI account, selling to MCI at the time. And uh, EDS, my company, had been in talks with AT&T and British Telecom and France Telecom and Sprint about doing uh, a merger with them. And, well, you might imagine MCI didn't really like that too much. So for about 18 months, it was start the account, finish the account, shut the account down. It was a real emotional roller coaster. So I was like, I'm done. I, I, I got to get off this roller coaster. Um, so they had this thing called executive development, this consultancy they were starting. They said, you know, you've been in account operations, sales, marketing, strategy, and, uh, you know, you'd be well-rounded for that. And I, I didn't really know at the time that I was going to really love it. Right. But um, I found out, you know, I, was, I took the job because I was like, well, you know, it'll be a good placeholder for me to find something else to do. And I realized that I really loved it. At the same time, EDS sent me to this program at the Sloan Business School up at MIT. Uh, and I can't remember the name of the program. It was not like a MBA, but it was like a couple week program and exposed me to all these really bright people. And I was like, well, you know what? If, if they can do that, why, why can't I do that? Right. They, they were they were doing business coaching and consulting and things on sustainability. And I was just really juiced and turned on. And I was like, well, you know, um, that's great. So long story short, um, while I was at EDS, I literally woke up, went to bed and thought about this question. What am I going to do when I grow up? Because this is not that much fun. Yeah. So ultimately, you know, I, let me just interrupt you real yeah. quick. The, 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 
the question of what I'm, what am I going to do when I grow up? I feel like you're almost always answering that mm. uh, through your career. And, and I think when we first started working together, I remember uh, we were down in DC um, and it was probably like the second time we had worked together in person. And you did the, not only the personality evaluation, but you also got feedback from some of my peers and coworkers and service line leads. Yeah. And one thing that came up that I was surprised to hear was that people felt that some people felt that I didn't know. It showed that I didn't know what I wanted to be. You know, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up because I play in a lot of different arenas in JLL. And that was a kind of an interesting thing to hear from an outside perspective because you're kind of always having that internal dialogue. But with me, it actually showed out there, too. So I think before you really find your sweet spot in in your career and your life, it, that's just something that everybody's always thinking about. It's true, Tony. And, you know, everybody sees us more accurately than we see ourselves. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very true. So we tell ourselves all kinds of things. Uh, and some of them are actually true. But, uh, yeah, I remember that feedback. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of cried in my beer a little bit that night because I thought I was going to get glowing reviews from everyone that knew me. Well, I just thought I was it was going to be wonderful. And it wasn't bad, but it was no, right. there was some tough stuff in there. And that's, I think, another one of your skills is that you know how to deliver those messages in, in the right way to say, hey, here's the reality, bud, or at least the perception. And sometimes perception is reality. So, you know, how, how are you going to take that feedback? Well, you know, if you get the resistance like you did, where you're like, oh, this stings, you know, usually that sting, there's telling you that there's something there you probably ought to look at. Right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. If it does sting, it means it's probably there's a degree of truth to it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the sting may have been related to the wine and the beer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think well, that I kind of made it better. That, that usually out. takes the sting out. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, backing up a little bit to obviously that's the kind of stuff that's leading up to you making a decision on how to go forward as really independent rather than, you know, sticking in the big corporate culture. But but leading into kind of getting into that big corporate culture, you know, I, I know you came from some humble beginnings. Was that sort of drilled into your mindset of like, I have to have the stability, I have to have the good job that I know I'm going to have for a long time. Otherwise, it could all go away and, and I'm in the poorhouse. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I my wife and I, who both worked at EDS, got to know the recruiter uh, who recruited me at EDS. And, you know, at, at a party about a year later, she goes, well, you know why you're hired, don't you? And I said, uh, well, you, you needed somebody with a pulse. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so she said, no, you fit one of Ross's criteria. And I was like, huh? What's that? Well, one of the criteria was you were the first kid in your family to go to college. Nice. And that was me. And so um, what it turned out that Ross had kind of a he was a he was a wacky guy in many ways, but he had a, a genius to him when it came to hiring. So he hired people, um, star athletes, star uh, in academics, um, first kid to go to college. Uh, military people, usually special forces. And if you think about all those people, what do they have in common? They have some level of grit, right? Yeah. They have some level of grit, staying power. They got a chip on their shoulder or something. Yeah. And uh, that, that, uh, that was eye-opening for me, why I was hired. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm 
I'm like one generation removed from kind of that setup where, where my dad was sort of the first one in the family to go to college for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and to have grown up in, you know, I don't know if you'd call it poverty, but close to poverty, um, you know, maybe a, a small step above that. But I think a lot of that got drilled into me too, of, you know, his, his mindset was survival. You know, it was like, how do I just, I got to make sure I survive. I can't be poor. I don't want to, you know, live the rest of my life as I grew up. And he definitely drilled that into us kids growing up. And it's part of, I think, what number one set me on a path of of hard work and persevering and achieving, but then also in a way sort of held me back creatively, creatively, excuse me, because you get locked into that mindset of like, I got to make sure I'm, I can eat, you know, I got to make sure I can yeah, survive yeah. and that's it. And anything past that, just don't even think about it because, you know, it's, 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 it's out of your reach. It's out of the realm, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I'll tell you what, I, I this might be helpful for folks. Um, so I said, I spent 12 years waking up going, what am I going to do with my life? You know, I'm either pretty dim or there was something blocking me from seeing what it was. Right. And so I finally got this book called Zen and the Art of Making a Living by Lawrence Bolt. I'll never forget that. And there was this exercise in there that said, what were the stories about work and money growing up that you, that were in your house? You know, what'd you grow up with stories about that? And I remember, you know, from my parents, you know, you get a job and you hang on to it. And if it was well-paying and you wore a white shirt and it had benefits, you hung on even tighter. So here I was 12 years into this career that I didn't really like clinging to this job I didn't really like. Yeah. Ultimately, um, the calculus was pretty simple to leave. I said, if I go out on my own and it doesn't work out, I can always go find another job I don't like. Sure. It was just yeah. that simple. They're abundant. Yeah. If you're, if right? you're, uh, yeah, if you have to, if you've put, if you've laid that foundation, if you've put that hard work in, if you've, you know, created that for yourself, if you make a misstep, on a risk that you take, you can go back. I mean, you might not be able to slide right back into exactly what you were doing before, but you know, those kind of things can be corrected for sure. Well, you know, you, if you're leaving something for the right reasons and you make a mistake in the next thing, you're still closer to figuring out the next best thing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's very true. Yeah. I mean, you know, what, what kind of, uh, you know, you mentioned that that book that you read, and, and I think one thing that's been great in working with you is you've always got a book for me to uh, <laughs> to attack and 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 give you some feedback on, and and that's been good for me because I'm not always I don't seek that stuff out. Um, yeah. I guess it just sort of doesn't come across my radar on a on a day to day basis, you know. Right. But but some of those suggestions, and one of them was uh, the War of Art that um, you had me read this summer. Right. And that was a, a, an inspiration for me to get started on this podcast, too, because, I mean, really, the message there is, you know, d- don't hold yourself back. Take the first step, even if you don't know exactly what that is. And sometimes the biggest block in creativity is just yourself. It's your self-doubt or it's your, yeah. you know, just yeah. just the fear of of getting into something that's unknown or uncharted. And, you know, reading that and and I've also mentioned to you before um, watching the last dance, Michael Jordan documentary right. over the summer too, really, right. um, kind of inspired me that, you know, 
you know, for the war of art, it was taking that first step for the last dance. It was just the notion of, of being present, which, which sounds like, you know, you're just thinking basketball highlights, how great Michael Jordan was. Yeah. My favorite quote of that whole documentary was towards the end where they said that Michael had the greatest ability of anyone that they'd ever met to be present, to be in the moment, to not Mm. worry about a future failure or a past failure or get caught up in any of that. It was just here and now that's where he was. And, you know, you can be pretty successful when you have that, that ability to be present, you know? Well, so many people just don't take that first step. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's this concept of failure that everybody's consumed with. What if I fail? What if I make a mistake? And what they don't realize is that bumping along through mistakes is the way all successful people make it. Yep. And, you know, I, I saw something I've seen it several times about SpaceX and Elon Musk. He says at SpaceX, failure is always an option. <laughs> you know, yeah. you think about how many launch fail or uh, failure to launch they've had. Mm-hmm. And, you know, things blowing up and landing and crashing. And, you know, they, they just keep moving. They keep moving forward. I mean, you, you can you can you know, it's kind of cliche, but you can learn an awful lot more from your failures than than your successes. Yeah. I mean, that's usually the truth. Um, you know, it's it's just the way it is. Um, yeah. So you you've, you know, definitely helped me kind of adapt my thinking in that way. Um, but why don't you get back to like some of the you know, you mentioned EDS. You finally make the decision to leave and start your own thing. What, what is that? What is that first day? Like, what is that? Uh, yeah. You wake so, up in the morning that first day after leaving, you know, yeah. where's your head? So um, let me set it up. So I've got 10 months worth of savings. I have no clients. I have a one-year-old child, two car payments, a house payment. And like I said, given my burn rate, I had about 10 months worth of savings. And that first day I can tell you, I had, two emotions at the same time. The greatest sense of being alive and excitement and abject terror all the same time. (laughs) And I'm sitting out in my backyard looking at the Blue Ridge Mountains because our backyard at the time had a view of the Blue Ridge Mountains. And uh, I had a glass of wine and a cigar. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm probably more relaxed now than I've been in 12 years. Wow. So there was a little ding, ding, ding. You know, this is probably a sign that this is probably the right thing, at least for now. Yeah. And uh, I played this little trick in my mind. You know, you ever hear this old cliche, well, most businesses fail within the first year. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't read on to the next sentence. So I just said, okay, if I make it a year, I'm good. I'm good to go. <laughs> so I... Uh, you know, with, I just worked my tail off night and day for about four or five months until, you know, I had some clients and uh, and the money was coming in. And uh, I remember somebody going, you know, you seem really happy and relaxed. And I said, well, you know, it's not that I don't have problems now, but unlike working for a huge company, my problems all have logical solutions to them now. Right. You right. Know? Exactly. And, and solutions so was, you can make quickly. When you know it's the right thing, instead of having eight other people sign off on it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's huge. Yeah. I think, you know, one thing you mentioned was you had 10 months of savings. And I think for anybody out there looking to make a move, um, 
you know, there's no reason you have to go into it. There's almost a notion that you hear about this stuff. It's like, oh, I have to make some big reckless decision. I have to make this big bet on myself. And yeah, you're making a bet on yourself, but there's no reason why you can't do it intelligently over a period of time. I mean, even if you're sitting somewhere in a corporate job today and you say, you know what, I'm not happy. I think I can do this other thing. Well, then plan it out. Put a timeline on paper, put your thoughts down, figure out how much you need in the bank to make it work, like you said, and make yeah. the sacrifices you have to make at home or whatever. Maybe you got to sell your house and downsize before you even start this thing. Maybe you need to, you know, trade your car in and, and go with something cheaper, buy a used car. Like there's all these sacrifices you can make to position yourself to take that gamble so that if it doesn't pay off or, or just whatever, it just doesn't take off. Maybe you do it for a couple of years and it doesn't get to the heights you want it to and you want to go back then at least you can do that. You don't have to fall flat on your face. And, and you're always better off for having done it. Yeah, exactly. And if, and if you realize that you're not going to go to your grave someday going, what if I had just tried it? Yeah. Yeah, you try it. It works out terrific. If it doesn't work out for whatever reason or you don't like it, doesn't turn out to be what you wanted it to be, then, you know, do something else. But you're always better. That, that, that idea of putting yourself out there. I remember another feeling. I'm here in the big, bad world all by myself. If my computer breaks, there's no IT department, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's all me. And there was, right. a, you know, like I said, there's a lot of freedom in that. And there's a lot of, uh, okay, you better get going. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. And, and you mentioned your wife, Suzanne, being a part of this too. And, you know, my last podcast, which I, I, I know you listened to, my buddy Ian Faber, his wife, Melissa, did the same work that he did. And, you know, he went and started their company. She, But she joined in a couple of years after that to kind of join forces and be not only that support system in home on a personal relationship basis, but to be in the business. So, yeah. So when did when did you two meet and how, you know, how did your paths kind of kind of go forward? Curious well, about we met that. in college. OK. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And uh, she still married me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know there's some uh, we're going to get into that later. But I think uh, you were the inspiration for some deleted scenes in uh, Animal House, if I remember yeah, correctly, was, with some uh, of your hijinks. It was pretty crazy. So I um, uh, I joined a fraternity, the Pi Kappa Alpha House, and it was literally Animal House. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, if if she hadn't seen it. And I had gone on and I married somebody else. And I said, oh, it was just so crazy. They would have been, yeah, yeah, I get it. And everybody's crazy. But no, I mean, literally, it was crazy. And uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, aberrant behavior. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, some silly times for sure. I can, I, can, I can relate. My, my wife and I also met during college. And, uh, and then I, I was a couple years ahead of her, so I graduated. And... I was uh, debating moving into a house with uh, my buddy, Scott Parker, which you met down in D.C., the yeah, restaurant yeah. tour entrepreneur, and uh, two other guys that were a couple years younger than us. So Scott and I were like 24, and these guys were you know, like 20 or 21 that we were moving in with, a house of four. My wife, you know, girlfriend at the time, my wife, eventually, Jamie, was like, you're, you're insane if you move <laughs> into that place. And I promise you it will end badly. And it was one of those things like where you're young and in the beginning of a relationship, it was like, you know what, just because you said that, I'm going to do it. 
And yeah, yeah, right. I did it. And we did not make the 12 months of the lease. We, we did not go the distance. <laughs> and she was a thousand percent right. There was a lot, like of, a, idea at the time. Yeah, a lot of terrible stuff going on in that house. And right. she was right. And they're usually smarter than us, though. Yeah. That's usually how yeah. that goes. <laughs> yeah. But so, so she, you meet in college and you're at e, we you meet work in together at EDS, right? Yeah, we meet in yeah. college. And college is in Michigan. And, uh, you know, she had gone to high school in Northern Virginia. And the winters in Michigan, as you know, are uh, long and hard and dark. Yes. And she said, well, um, you know, when I graduate, I'm going back to Virginia. If you want to come, that's great. But I'm not staying here. <laughs> so uh, I tagged along, went back to uh, Virginia. And uh, that's where I got a job at EDS. Mm -hmm. Then I got her a job at EDS. And we both worked at EDS for a while and then got married in 1989. So I've been married a long time. Yeah. And um and we both stayed and we quit our jobs a day apart at EDS and uh, started this business. And she was in the business like day to day for several years. And then as we had uh, my son, Henry, we kind of did division of labor where I was kind of out there with the business and she was with the family, but in the back, background with the business. And then... Um, about four or five years ago, she started her own uh, design business, SuzanneAllardDesign.com, I think it is. Suzanne Allard Design, 10% yeah, off. You, you can mention the No Code Podcast. She's got some great stuff. Uh, <laughs> Check anyway, it out. Um, so, yeah, she's been a constant for a long time. And, you know, I, you know, I think of her kind of as the Tim Whisperer, you know, when I come off the rails, <laughs> um, you know, she's talking yeah. about that. Yeah. You get your crazy ideas and she knows how to poke the right holes in them and, and all well, that stuff. Yeah. 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 She's, yeah a my... force, she's a force multiplier for me. I, okay. I don't really send anything out without checking with her really because not because I need to, but because she just makes my ideas better. Yeah. Now it's so, it's so great to have that in your life. That's not just a sounding board, but somebody that gives you that input yeah. that you really need. And uh, certainly my wife, Jamie, same thing, uh, you know, Anything work-wise or whatever that I'm kind of stuck on or or debating what to do, 100%, right. I'll go to her and bounce it off and say, what do you think about this? What, right, what right. do you think about my answer to this email that was tough to come through? And, you know, well, well, how do I handle this, you know? Yeah. She and confirms usually you actually are insane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's really great having that um, when you have a great partner in your life that can support you through all that. It is. Um, it is. So in the in the early stages, in the beginning years, um, you know, were there ever any moments that popped up where it sort of threw some doubt into your mind or, or threw you for a curveball or, you know, just kind of that new experience of being out on your own where you came across something you didn't anticipate at all? Good, good you know, or bad for that matter. I'll, I'll tell you what was really interesting. There were a lot of people that I knew really well going into starting my business. Right. And I thought for sure there were several people that I thought would come through for me, make introductions, et cetera, et cetera. And in some cases they didn't. And I was like, like, Holy smokes. I mean, you know, I got these people jobs and, you know, I felt, you know, like I was owed in some way, even though I'm not, but right. anyway, um, I was surprised. And then there were other people who, you know, I didn't know them that well or um, didn't think, you know, they would, 
do anything for me. And there were people that came out that just, they were just like angels. You know, yeah. they introduced me to people who, they just got me in front of people. And, you know, you just don't know. At the end of the day, you don't know who's going to come forward or why or when. And so, um, you know, if you're a service provider, you're out there every day and you provide service the best you can. And, you know, uh, things happen. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. Um, there's definitely some people in my professional circle that, you know, I can rely on uh, to help connect dots whenever I need to that will will right. do anything for me. And, and right. in turn, of course, I'll do whatever I can for them. And yeah. it's that that great kind of level of, of trust and and dependability between one another. And then there are some to your point, and, and these could even be really close friends or even family members sometimes where it, it might just be a discomfort with mixing friendship and business or family and business in yeah. some cases. You know, I, I, I definitely come across that sometimes. Um, you know, uh, there, there's sometimes I get a request for introductions of people really close to me that I know really don't like that <laughs> when, when people kind of right. reach out to them and, and are looking for for a job or for a piece of business. And it's tough because you've got to walk that line between friendship and business. And with some people, it's super easy. You just know that kind of anything goes. And with others, it's, it's hard. And uh, it's a tough thing to navigate. I think some people remember you in a time and space when you were a different person. That's a great And they can't see you in any other time and space or Mm -hmm. as a different having grown person. And, and, you know, I think we all do that. Right. Um, Whether it's conscious or not, we all do it to some extent. Yeah, I think that's that's an awesome point. I hadn't even really thought about it like that. But definitely I know as I reach out to some people that I might have known back in high school um, and now are in professional circles that could benefit me or I could help them or whatever. It's sort of like, yeah, you you have that. I guess that, uh, you know, first impressions last forever type thing. You're like, I remember this guy. uh, you know, fell into the pool at this party and people right. all over himself. I'm not going right. to give him any business, you know, <laughs> you know, that guy forever is, uh, you know, right. Tommy, Tommy McGee, the puker, you know, like, right. you right. know, <laughs> now he's running a $5 billion business. Exactly. Exactly. And then, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's strange how that works, but, uh, that's definitely a good point. Um, so you, you've, you know, you've grown this business into something that's, I think pretty cool. It, it's, you know, it's you and Suzanne and, and, you know, pre pandemic, you're flying all over the place to do these right. in-person things. And, you know, uh, every time, every other time I talked to you, I felt like you were like in an airport or, you know, I'm about to get on a plane, you know, let yeah. me get back to you when I get back. What has this been like, um, to have that, you know, almost totally altered in the last 12 months and, and how have you adapted, um, in what you're doing? You know, it's been horribly good. <laughs> no, true. Yeah. Uh, true. Because yeah. um, so what I've done uh, in March 13th, I flew home from Tampa. Um, and uh, we were thinking about moving to Tampa and leaving Charlottesville where we were. And, uh, you know, I thought this pandemic thing would be done by the fall at the latest, you know. And, right, right. Um, so as, as time stretched on, you know, everybody, I think, um, adapted. We did a lot of things over the phone that we used to do in person. Um, 
you know, I wanted to move out of Charlottesville. Um, it's a beautiful place, but the airport was small. And I spent an extra 20 days on the road in 2019 because I couldn't get home because there weren't any flights. Um, so we started looking at different markets. We looked at Austin and we looked at Tampa and now we've settled on Nashville. But so, you know, you have to evolve. And as painful as it is to go, okay, well, you know, kind of almost overnight, I can't go out and run strategy sessions. I can't see people in person. Um, and I can't travel to locations to do things with clients. You know, you adapt. And uh, you don't adapt perfectly uh, at first, but over time, um, I, I think that, you know, a year into it now, we're, we're you know, crazy enough. Um, we've, we've taken on new clients in this year when I just thought, you know, as this thing dragged on, that wouldn't happen. Right. I just thought, um, you know, my existing clients would hunker down, but um, there's just it's been a hard time to predict anything when this thing would end, how people would respond. I mean, who would have known a company like Chick-fil-A would have a banner year and they would, they would reinvent how fast food is done. Unbelievable. Right. I'm amazed by them. Right. So, so it's been tough. I think it's been tough on everybody, but it's been a lot tougher on people who weren't flexible and adaptable. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And I wonder if in your business of leadership coaching and helping people with their professional development, was it a good time for some people to actually hunker down and do that because they didn't have the day-to-day minutia of, you know, bouncing around between meetings and cities and, you know, all, all the kind of fringe stuff that exists in our lives that we now realize. I know for myself, when we come out of this, I'm going to be way more careful with my time, you know, right. because right. as much as I want to go back and do a lot of that stuff, I realize now how much of a deterrent that was for me to actually kind of get, you know, really core things done in either my job or, or developing myself. They're distractions. Um, They're yeah, distractions yeah. from facing the stuff we don't really want to look at because it seems hard, like starting a podcast. Yeah, exactly. Right? No way I started would have started this thing if, if uh, I was doing all my networking events and lunches and dinners right. and coffee right. meetings. And no, now I have a rhythm where, Almost every Friday, I I do this and I plan for it and I I I all that time I fill to get ready for it would have been like you know meeting Joe Schmo for lunch that and I used to take meetings that I didn't need to take too I, right. I really was guilty of that it was because right, right. I'm a nice guy and I want to make people happy and somebody asked me to go do something I'll 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 usually do it but look looking ahead I'm like I am just gonna politely say no to that stuff or do it as a video call or do it as a phone call right right. And, and preserve my time that I'm not like in my car or, you know, sitting at a restaurant waiting for a meal, you know? You know, I mean, look, I, I don't want to minimize the pain that restaurateurs and sure. other people yeah. have felt. I just, I, I can't even imagine yeah. what it's like to be those people. But on the flip side, whether it's healthcare, you know, telehealth has come 15 years advanced in 12 months. We're, we're going to have advances that we don't enjoy today because we can't, yeah. but there's going to be a lot of things, whether it's video technology and healthcare and, and, and many other areas that it's just going to be better at the backside of this. Yeah. Yeah. We've learned. It's amazing what you can learn and adapt, adapt to, to 
when you right. have yeah, when you have to and when you have the time right. to do it. I mean, yeah, you're right. It's been it's none of this is worth the cost. None of this is worth the cost of a half a million deaths in this country right. Right. and millions and millions of people that have gotten sick and and long COVID people that suffer, you know, with the disease even right. months after they've been infected. But there's there's a there's a positive side to everything. And there's yeah. a positive side to this. If yeah. if if you kind of look at yourself and your introspective and and you've adapted. I mean, there is we can be better humans coming out of this. I hope so. We, we really can. I, I mean, there's some evidence too. of it. Not everybody, yeah. but there's some evidence. <laughs> not everyone. Not everyone. So so speaking of the lessons that you can learn through tough times, you, you gave me a list here of some of the things that you've learned about people in business over the years. And I want to yeah. go through this because I think this is to me, this is like the best part of working with you over these years is yeah. you, you have a lot of great lessons that you can impart on people. So why don't we run down this? You can you can do them all or you can or you can highlight yeah, a few, well, whatever you want to do. Let's see where we go. All right. Well, you know, I'm going to start with number two first, because it's a good segue from what we were talking about. You know, comfort and complacency are two different sides of the same coin. And the, the beauty of COVID for those of us who weren't whose health and whose business were not um, too greatly impacted is that it made us get uncomfortable enough to look at the changes that we need to make and we've been thinking about making. So, you know, really, I think you don't want to be too comfortable. And if you run an organization, um, you want to be uh, a great place for people to work, but I don't think you want anybody, including the top people, to be too comfortable. I think it just, I've just seen too much evidence that bad things happen when people are comfortable. I, I agree completely. So um, probably one of the bigger ones is um, I put things in three buckets. Mm -hmm. The things you can control, the things you can influence but not control, and the things you have no control over. So the things that you can control is a pretty small list. It's everything related to your words, how you spend your time, what you think about, who you associate with, who you choose not to, yep. how you set boundaries. So those things you can control, things you can influence. You know, I like to use uh, sports analogies. You know, Brady before the Super Bowl, he could watch film. He could work on his throwing motion. Those things might influence the outcome of the game, but they didn't he didn't have control over the outcome of the game. Right. But most of life is out of your control. And so I think the other thing that COVID has done is you really have to focus on the things you can control. And we can't control the fact that we can't all get on airplanes anymore. We can't go see clients, walk the halls, do those things. So you really have to hunker down and go, okay, what is it that I can control? Because when you think about the things you can control, which they were the same things before COVID too. We just tended to not look at them as much. Right. Um, you really can be empowered when you focus on what you can control. And you're yeah. really disempowering yourself when you try to control all these things that you don't have any control over. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think, I think sometimes even when you're, when you're so busy just running around, you, you can do a bad job of even identifying what you can and can't control. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You get pulled in, in these different directions and you get distracted, you know? Right. So number three, you know, people, um, 
whether they get beaten down or they don't think about it, I don't know of a single thing that should be considered a commodity. Mm-hmm. You know, literally anything can be wrapped with some differentiated value add. Any business, any service, any product can be differentiated in some way. And so I just, I see too many people defaulting to, well, that can't be done, or we can't do this, or we don't have pricing power. And the truth of the matter is, you always have options to differentiate yourself. And so you're never a commodity, and nor is your product or service. Yeah, and that's a good point, too, for, you know, not just, say, C-suite professionals, but people just getting started in their career, too, especially as they go out on the job hunt or they look for opportunities out, out in the marketplace. You know, you want to be memorable. You know, you don't want to be that candidate that is just, you know, you looked at their resume, maybe you had a conversation with them and they just, you walked away and said, eh, okay, yeah, pretty good. Like you want to be, especially in today's world where the evolution towards social media and everybody has a platform now and everybody has the ability to say what they want to say, that can definitely go bad sometimes as we've seen. Right. But, But at the same time, it can make you, if you use it the right way, you can show who you are as a person and, and be memorable. And part, again, part of what this podcast is, you know, that's, and, and something I would have been uncomfortable with before, because I would think like, Oh, I just have to be like vanilla. I have to be normal. I have to be, you know, I don't want to stand out, but it's okay to stand out. You should try to stand out. <laughs> so, so yeah. And, and a lot of people go, well, my product is, uh, you know, a true commodity. And I go, okay, the purchasing of the product doesn't have to be a commodity. Mm-hmm. People make the purchasing, the the selection, the delivery of the of the commodity a differentiated experience. Yep. You can add value in the purchasing and in the delivery. I mean, there's just there's just never a reason to be a commodity. True. So um, a lot of organizations I deal with. In fact, one right now I'm dealing with. Um, it's really pretty cool because we get to design the whole organization kind of from scratch. It's an enterprise that's been uh, around for a long time, but I've been asked to come in and uh, help them refine, in some cases develop and align their core values, vision, mission, operating model, compensation model, and leadership model. Wow. And so it's a big often, task right there. <laughs> well, you know, it's it, yeah. there's a lot of it built, but a lot yeah. of it misaligned right now. Right. And and I would say that in every business that I've seen, um, if you stood back and looked at how they were put together, you realize there's so much loss to misalignment, whether it's in compensation or incentives or lack of consistent core values. Uh there's just a lot of misalignment in businesses and it just um, even, even in really good businesses. And so misalignment is one of these things that I think most people overlook or they focus on the symptom of misalignment, but not really get to the core of it. Right. So misalignment is another one. Um, So to, to that point, when you're designing an organization, I think you have to look at the fact that technology changes, but human nature doesn't. Right. And so you want to be able to put enough structure in the organization to harness the human capital, but not too much that you stifle the innovation and the animal spirits. Right. 
And so enough structure, but not too much. That's probably Um, a a pretty delicate balance to walk, I would imagine, for a lot of organizations. It is. It is because, um, you know, we've all been in part of organizations where, um, you know, it works really well for some people, but it doesn't work so well for other people. Right. Or maybe there's a few people that are benefiting disproportionately uh, and everybody else, you know, they want everybody else to have an owner's mindset, but they aren't owners. So why are they going to have an owner's mindset? Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) you know, it's one of my favorite Mark Twain quotes. Uh, I love this one. See if I can get this right. It's not what you, (laughs) this is uh, Mark Twain. It's not what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. so I, love, that, I, I love that quote. Do you know uh, Do you know what movie this quote appears in, in the beginning? No, no. The Big Short with uh, Steve Carell about the financial, uh, uh, the crash. It's based on Michael Lewis's book. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I that, that's shame on me. I'm more of a movie guy than a, a literary guy, but that was the first time I ever read or saw that quote. In the beginning of one of my favorite movies. I, lo- I love that movie. Yeah. Well, it's, it's so true. I mean, we can, we can go into things, you know, you never have perfect information, right? Yeah. But it's, it's when you think you have perfect information and you're just so sure that you put all the chips on the table and you go, oops, didn't see that variable coming. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great one. I've, I love that quote too. Um, And, and actually, if you think about that movie, what that subject is about, that's, that's really what got uh, got people into trouble with the uh, the housing market and the recession of 08, 09 was that notion that, no, housing has to go up forever, you know? Loan <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> goes bad, you just refinance. It's all, right, it's all good. Right, right. But, uh, you know, so, a lot of, uh, uh, not, not to not to grab, uh, your, you know, your time here, but a lot of, a couple of the notes I see on here about some of the lessons are about people and kind of the quality of character of yeah. people. And I know we've talked a lot about that in our work together through JLL, but you know, one of the things you have down here is, uh, it, well, it's kind of two of the different points I think kind of go with one another. Real friends and great partners are treasures. Yeah. Agree with that completely. And also you can't make a good deal with a bad person. Yeah. It's Why don't you just, talk about those a little bit? Yeah. So, um, over the years, I've gotten involved with businesses that were partnerships, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it's painful to watch people have to unwind a partnership because they have a misalignment of values or motivations, or they're at different stages in their careers, or in some cases, they're just a bad person. Yeah, and that you know, there, I don't think there's that many bad people out there, but there are some, and. Um, you know, I'm reminded of the Warren Buffett quote, you can't make a good deal with a bad person. And it's just true. I mean, yeah. I've seen so many people get in, into entanglements because they were not discerning with the people they chose to either partner with or even just do a deal with. And, you know, it winds up, you know, years later, and they're still trying to unwind this tangled mess that keeps them up at night. And it just... It's just not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it quite a bit too in, uh, you know, whether it's in larger organizations or I've had friends of mine that have gone into business with one another. And, you know, unfortunately the, the 
friendship falls apart because of the business relationship or vice versa. Um, and it, it's, it, it's probably the hardest thing to navigate in business because we're all individuals. We're all motivated by different things. And, you know, when you say bad people, I, I agree. I don't think there's a whole lot of bad people out there, but a term you've used in the past when we've worked together is bad actor. Yeah. And to me, I, I kind of like move to, towards that one a little bit, because to me, that doesn't imply that someone's necessarily a bad person at their core, but within their business function or, or negotiations or however they deal, they tend to be a bad actor. Maybe they're out for themselves and not looking out for the greater right. good, right. you know, whatever it may be. But, but I think that's something that can really hurt some organizations, especially if those people are in leadership positions. If you have a bad actor in a leadership position, that is, I mean, that's impossible to work around. You know, it, it leads me to this other quote, you know, how important good friends, real friends and great partners are. So, you know, I do a lot with commercial real estate executives yeah. um, and I've done with uh, the financial uh, institutions as well as global consulting. But the partnerships that I've seen work the best over time are ones where it's not that the partners are doing the same thing, but there's a sense that they're contributing equally. Yes. Whatever that means, right? Mm -hmm. So like in commercial real estate, you know, sometimes you have somebody who is a great rainmaker, but then you have somebody who's doing the back end, uh, executing the deals and the one can't do more rainmaking if the back end of the deals aren't being done. So that person who's taking all that pain away is really contributing at an equal level. The other thing too, with that is the ones that I've seen to your bad actors, but not necessarily bad people. Um, those long-term partnerships where people split 50-50. I tell you where, where it's the, the, the person who just wants to get that extra nickel all the time. Yeah. You know, they're just, it just causes resentment yep. over time. And, and you just see these things going, you know, that's not going to last long. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, it, the partnership stuff, it, it's always tough. It's, I, I think probably more of them don't work out than do, but yeah. sometimes you see somebody get it right. And, you know, if they understand it's maybe in a way, it's kind of like a marriage, like you're going to have your ups and your downs. You're going to have right. your times where you're going to sit there and say, I'm pulling more weight than the other person, or the other person's pulling more weight than you. And you kind of feel like a slouch, like you're not contributing, but if you're on the same wavelength and you're working towards the same goals, a lot of times that stuff is just going to come out in the wash over years. And then you get to a point where you've done it so long, you realize that and you don't get bent out of shape about those things. And you right. just, you know, try to continue to grow and evolve and, and do better. And, uh, you know, some of them, the ones that it's funny, the more of them don't work than do, but the ones that do can sometimes just be incredible partnerships. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it's interesting, Tony, you and I had a conversation recently about, um, you know, an engagement you were looking at getting involved in. Yeah. And I mean, I was thinking at the time, just be careful. Yeah. Just yeah. be careful. You got to yeah. get to know these people. Yeah, definitely. No. And that, that one was, uh, you know, it didn't, it didn't come to be and I don't, you'll never know if it, if it would have worked out or if it wouldn't have, but you know, having some separation from it, I, I definitely kind of see some of the uh, 
danger uh, areas that that you saw that I didn't want to see at the time that it was it was happening. So I think that's another another thing you're really good at as a coach is that to have that objectivity um, and not necessarily be emotionally invested in something that's going on, I, I think can be a huge help. And I, I was going to ask you about this, and maybe this is kind of like the last the last question here that, that I had anyway, but, um, you know, I've, I've done therapy before. Um, I'm actually current currently doing it right now, every couple of weeks. It's been always been something I felt helps me, um, to have somebody outside of my family, somebody outside of my friends that I can talk to that, you know, the person cares, I'm sure, but they don't, they're not like, you know, a hundred percent emotionally invested in, and what I'm going through or my happiness or whatever. Right. Do you find yourself to be in a way, I guess maybe like a business therapist or, or, or part of what you do kind of falls into that category of third party trusted advisor, you know, you develop friendly relationships with your clients, which is maybe where it's a little bit different than a therapist because, you know, a therapist, a good therapist is not going to do that. Right. Um, do you, do you think of yourself in that way at all? I don't. Um, you know, therapists and therapy is an industry uh, <laughs> that hopefully you go to school for, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't have any training in that area. I have a lot of life experience. Mm -hmm. I, I do think the business coaching is therapeutic sometimes. Yeah. But I don't think of myself as doing therapy. I don't know if that answers it or not, but no, it does. I, and and I guess maybe what I think of it is a different. It's a, it's in a different way. You know, you're you're not necessarily having people pour their heart and soul and their and their guts out to you about their personal lives, but you do have them pour that out about about their business lives. You know, yeah. Which you know, you're at work usually more often than you're at home. So sometimes that can be as well. It can be more stressful. It can be more. It can be as important sometimes as, as what's going on at home. In, in, I, I have recommended people that uh, I could help them with their business mm -hmm. and I could support them in what a therapist would share with them. Um, but I've, I've, uh, I've always been very careful to draw that line. Right, right. And, and I have recommended people um, consider therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, you know, based on some of the things they were telling me, I knew it was outside of my, my league. Exactly. Now that makes a lot of sense. And, yeah. and I would, would never suggest that you, you would dabble on that because that's uh, like you said, you know, you, you, you need some training on that. You need to know, uh, the right things to say to people that right. may be dealing with an issue, but look, we always encounter people in business that you look at that person and be like, wow, they should, Maybe they should go to talk to somebody to work on, yeah. you know, some of these blind spots or some of these uh, some of these behaviors that, you know, can be troubling. Um, you know, whether it's somebody being passive aggressive or, you know, somebody that's that's making staff uncomfortable by the things they say in meetings, like whatever it may be, you know, we all see it. It exists in in the world for sure. You know. Well, you know, I'll tell you, um, we were talking about good people versus bad actors. My sense is that most of the behavior that we see that's not good is from good people 
who are struggling usually because of something they fear will or will not happen. Yeah. Is when I see people push to the wall and they're either, they don't have enough time, capital behind them or money in the bank. And they do things that uh, hurt their long-term sustainability uh, for a short-term potential gain. And they, yeah. they make decisions based out of short-term fear. It looks yeah, like. fear and, and insecurity, I think, are, are, are two things that definitely, uh, you know, inhibit somebody from, from doing the right things at work and being a good leader. I, I've seen it many times. Um, you know, sometimes you just need that, that trust and belief in yourself um, and, and to not be afraid to make a mistake, uh, you know, it can be, it can be hard for some people for sure. Yeah. Cause we're all going to make those mistakes. We all do every day, every day we make a mistake a couple times at least. Yeah. But, uh, listen, uh, Tim, I'm super thankful that you came on today. Yeah, um, man. I, I'm really thankful to have you as a friend and as a colleague and somebody that I've, you know, been able to work with over the years. Um, you know, if if anybody out there listening is thinking about getting some business coaching, leadership coaching, whatever it may be, I highly suggest you reach out to Tim. Um, what's the website, Tim? Tim at timjaller.com. Tim at timjaller.com. You Little can email shameless him. advertisement there. Follow him on LinkedIn. He's got good blog posts. Uh, check good out his website. There. That's right. And, uh, you know, check out this podcast for sure. And, and uh, you know, I just, I, I love the work that you do. I'm super thankful for what you've given me over the years. And, uh, you know, looking forward to, uh, to some good in-person hangs when this is uh, yeah, behind man. us a little bit. Almost there. We're almost We're there. We're going to get there. I'm going to come down to Nashville because now you're in Nashville. And I've never West been to Nashville. Baby. I've heard good things. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot of fun. You think, you thought Charlottesville is fun. This will be better. This place yeah. is uh all around fun. We'll go we'll go light up the town. We'll we'll do it. All right, take care. All right, Tim. Thank you so take much. Care. Appreciate right. it. Take care everybody. Thanks for listening.